Good morning again, uh, especially if you're, if you're new to us. I know I was welcoming on the door and uh, uh, I'm getting to an age where I do forget names, but I'm pretty sure there were faces I'd, I'd never seen before. Uh, even though some of you sneak up into the gallery, don't you? And you hi, you know, and I say, hi, I haven't met you before. And I said, Andrew, I've been coming here for six years. I just always sit in the gallery. Anyway, welcome to you, um, especially if you're, if you're new with us to the mayhem and the madness of Trinity. And uh, as, the, as Jennifer and Nikki were saying, uh, do connect in with us. Um, we're a big church. Community is always something every church has to work at, but we know how hard we have to work at being really good community with each other. It is a two-way thing, so grab one of those connect things. Go and see someone at the back afterwards. Sign up online for stuff. And, uh, and particularly, um, just to highlight, our two main routes into our church are Alpha and Element. So we've got an Alpha course running at the moment, coming towards its end. That's for people who are exploring faith questions. You know, what's this all about? If you're here today and thinking, what is this all about? Alpha is the thing for you. We've got a new course starting in January. Element is then, you know, you would say, yeah, I've, I've started the journey. I would describe myself as a follower of Jesus or a Christian, but I want to go through the basics, the foundations, and really get to know people as well. Um, so if you're, if you're wanting to do community, we absolutely encourage people, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, think seriously about doing the Element course, because it's such an opportunity to get to know a group of people in our, in our church family, uh, and then you know, get, get involved in other ways. So welcome this morning, Alpha and Element particularly. So we've got a series and it's on heaven. It's a two-week series. We've, uh, we were talking about fear of the Lord for a few weeks um, and we're now talking just for a couple of weeks before Advent about heaven. So um, if you want to just do this on your own, and I know some people prefer just to be able to sit and think on their own, really invite you to do that. But if you want to just chat to a neighbour, what do you imagine when you think about heaven? So you don't need to be a follower of Jesus to answer this question. When you think that word heaven, what do you imagine? Off you go. You've got less than a minute. Do it on your own if you want. Think on your own. But I'm not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised there's, uh, there's some conversation. I realise that some of it will have been about, you know, what you're going to do later today or what you did over the weekend, and it won't have been about heaven at all, unless that, that is heaven for you. But a, a huge percentage of people 
outside of church today, sadly, about 97%, 98% of the population of Cheltenham won't be anywhere near a church at the moment. That's our mission challenge. But uh, if you were to go into the streets today and you were to find them on their way back from the race course or wherever, um, and you said, you know, do you believe in heaven? A huge percentage of the population do believe in, in something, in something beyond, beyond death. Um, and I wonder, you know, when you talk to many, what they imagine, one, one writer said, you know, hopefully it's not sitting on a damp cloud harping. Now, for younger generations, that means playing a harp, as opposed to what some of us do, which is harp on about stuff. Um, now, well, I suppose if I've got one aim today, Charles Spurgeon, who was a great Christian writer, said, when you're, when you're preaching about heaven, your face should light up with joy. When you're preaching about hell, your ordinary face will do. So, <laughs> so, so kind of, you know, there, there, there we go. And I'm looking out at some of you, I can see you're really good. No, no. Um, <laughs> Well, um, I'm basing quite a lot of what I'm talking about today. We've got two, two weeks on this. I'm talking a little bit about the nature of heaven today. And then next week, perhaps, we'll be going a little bit, I think, going a little bit more into the so what. I'm going to finish with a couple of so what's, but, but I want to just talk, you know, what do we think about what's our understanding about heaven? And I'm basing quite a lot of what I'm saying on this book, Paula Gooder's book, which is a great book, which is just called Heaven. There are some great books. I'm also referring to another book. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, um, again, on heaven. There are lots of good books. But this one, Paula Gooder's book on heaven, um, is, is, I think, really good. And, and the first thing I hope you kind of, you know, um, here's, my, here's my, uh, my next question. Looking forward. Are you looking forward to heaven? Thank you. Thank you, Jacob. Because um, in a way, I hope you're not. In a way, I hope you're not looking forward to, to heaven. Okay, what do I mean by that? So, heaven is the foundation of our Christian hope. It's the absolute foundation of our Christian hope. So, so one writer has said that the Bible is really a book about heaven. Okay, we need to unpack that a bit. Here's, here's Paul writing um, to the church at a place called Colossae in, in, the, in the New Testament part of our Bibles. Here we go, it's on the screens. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So some of you are going, the cross is absolutely the heart of the Christian good news message. 100%, the cross absolutely is the heart. But, but where does the cross take us? Where does the cross of Jesus take us? And here he's going on. He says, and of the love you have for all God's people. So, so what he's saying is that the, the thing that has changed you, the knowledge that Jesus, in Jesus, God loves you so much that he would come down to earth, be born as a baby as we're going to celebrate, and then would go and live and die on a cross for you. This love which will show itself... The faith and the love that spring, these things, what do they spring from? They spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So our hope that is the wellspring for who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is, is connected intimately to heaven. And he says, and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So Paul says, when I said to you the true message of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, I talked to you about heaven. 
Now, some of us are probably from a generation, I certainly am, where you would kind of only talk to people about the cross and, and kind of, it's always interesting to notice which parable, I've said this before, isn't it? You can do the generations by which parable, story of Jesus, do we connect with? My generation, sheep and goats. Which way are you going? Two ways to live. Anyone else? Our lovely, younger, cuddly generations, you're a little bit more... Lost son, prodigal son. Yeah, the searching father, embraced by the love of... Yeah. Now, as for my daughters, I've got no idea what they think about Gen Z or Y or... What, what, or we're not even sure what we're on. <laughs> but isn't it interesting to notice the different gospel, the different story of Jesus that maybe connects with you? We've been talking about fear of the Lord over the last few weeks, haven't we? And that's, that's kind of slightly said, you know, all of these things we hold together, but we've slightly been saying, has the, has the needle on the barometer sort of kind of, you know, the difference between true north and magnetic north? So has our needle been quite, it's slightly magnetic north in the sense of, you know, cuddly God, almighty God, of course, loving, hugely welcoming, embracing us God, and, and we lost a little bit of the sense of, of the fear of the Lord in, in an appropriate kind of fear. Not unhealthy fears we talked a lot about, but a healthy, awful, reverent respect for who God is. Just exactly as we've been, been singing about. You know, who's the kind of God that we need to deal with the evil that is in the world? You know, again, those, all those people you'll talk to this Christmas, we all agree it's not hard to see the dreadful atrocities of evil. So what are you going to do about it? No almighty, all-powerful, holy God, then you're stuck with it. But we're not stuck with it. We believe there's a hope. We believe that there will be justice, perfect justice one day. And so Paul is saying, when I talk to you about the good news of Jesus Christ, I talk to you not only about the cross and how central that is, that Romans 8, when he was writing from Rome, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit set you free, give you new, new life. But it's into a relationship, isn't it? It's into a relationship with God. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And then that verse, 1 Peter 3.18, ends to bring you to God. It's all about the restoration, isn't it, of a relationship. And heaven, the Bible tells us, is, is, is the perfect presence of God. Psalm 84, the songbook of the Bibles, Psalm 8410. We, we know these, don't we? We sing a song, some of us are old enough to remember it. Better is one day. There's a yearning, there's a desire, there's an awareness of the, the fullness of God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And heaven is, heaven is the seventh day state of God in a sense, isn't it? You know, when God rests and sees all of creation and everything is as it is meant to be. The word shalom, the word peace. And I use that advisedly with everything that's going on in the Middle East. The total lack of peace that there is. The lack of shalom, the lack of all things being in their right place. 
So with, the, with Shalom Word, for those of you who are more technical and you know, think in beautiful mathematical ways, there's the precision of creation that is part of the Shalom of God. It's not just a feeling, it's about a right ordering of all things. This is the hope, this is, this is heaven. But you see, here's a, here's a little image of, a, of a, an autumn image. This is pretty autumn as opposed to rainy, cold autumn that we have at the moment. When, when you talk to those people, 75, 80% of people who say that they believe in heaven, what they'll talk to you is about the afterlife. The afterlife. If you want to, turn to your neighbour now and say, what's Andrew about to say, having repeated the word? They all think it's about the afterlife. What do you think I'm about to say? Thank you. Someone ringing now. That is so good. (laughs) Mum, love you being online. Don't ring now. I know the answer to my own question. I'm going to say the problem is it isn't about the afterlife primarily in Scripture, is it? It's about present life. Now, of course, there is the truth that Scripture, and we'll look into it, tells us about the the fullness of God, the perfect peace of God. There are people in this room, you are going through literally bits of hell at the moment, in the sense that the fallenness of the world, the evil of the world, is impinging upon you. Physically, it's impinging upon you. Uh, Mentally, emotionally, it's impinging upon you. Death is a very present reality, even in this room, let alone, let's look on our, you know, We're in this fallen bit. We're in the in-between bit. It's sometimes, as I say, it's like on the travelator at Heathrow. You've got one foot on the travelator of of, of heaven and your other foot stuck in life. And men and women, it's quite painful, the stretch. You know, we're living in this in-between time, but there's a fullness of heaven that is to come. No death, no crying, no tears. But there's a challenge to us that our perspective as Christians can also be primarily future when we think about heaven. All those films, all those books that that we read, all the kind of way, you know, Bob Dylan, this is how old I am, not not knocking on heaven's door. (laughs) Bob, where's Bob? I thought I'd give you a great rock reference there. Come on, Bob Harding Williams, you like that one. There's even a few men sort of kind of going... Um, we welcome all ages at Trinity but is that flavouring I think so here's just an image for you Mike uh, Mike Fuller would do a much better job but here's an image Jacob thank you of a Hebrew cosmology so do you like my Hebrew cosmology Um, again it's sort of described a little bit more in, in this book but a Hebrew cosmology so this is not physically accurate in the sense that we know that you can fly up and go through what the Hebrew cosmology thought about as the firmament but when when the Old Testament Bible is talking about the acts of God in creation there's the separations is actually the interesting word to notice The separation, light and dark, the separation of the waters. Two lots of waters, not one. There's waters below and there's waters above. 
And the, the, the dome, like it's not, the be- it's not an absolute accurate description and um, uh, definition of the Hebrew word, rakia. It's not, it's, it, we can't translate it fully. But, but, but the, in the Hebrew, it literally means something that is beaten out, that is, that is stretched out, which stresses how thin it is, how permeable. The sky is our ceiling. The sky is God's floor. That which is our ceiling is only God's floor. Now, I really obviously don't want to play into a wrongful thinking that heaven is just up there. Okay? However, when we talk about heaven being up there, when we raise our hands to heaven, we are hopefully saying something that is true about the presence of God over and with us and the permeability, the windows, as you can see on the picture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And and you see that, don't you? Jesus' baptism. When Jesus is baptised, he looks up and he sees heaven open, heavens open as the Holy Spirit comes down and the voice of God is heard. The imagery, the picture, the message is there is about closeness, about God's presence. In, in Acts 1, 9, 11, as they see the, the risen Lord Jesus ascend into heaven, the sense in there, it doesn't exactly say it in the text, but there's a sense there, they're able to watch and follow where Jesus is going. The stress is not on absence and distance, but actually on closeness. I wonder, I wonder when we think about heaven... I wonder if we think about that closeness. I wonder when we pray on earth as in heaven. I wonder if we pray the Lord's Prayer that way, as on earth as in heaven. And we kind of think, God, I'm sort of hoping that's going to come in the future. It's a, it's a slightly distant hope of when you're going to make all things right, Jesus, when you come back. I wonder if we fully always have. In this church, we do to an extent. But I just want to challenge and just say, when you pray on earth as in heaven, that's a prayer of now. That's a prayer which expresses God's presence and the permeable nature and the closeness of his shalom, of peace and rightness. Bible secondly tells us that heaven is the throne of God. It's the place of the throne of God, isn't it? And we've been singing about it beautifully this morning um, in Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 1.22, actually talks about the throne resting on, on the firmament, resting literally on the, on the dome. Um, that imagery, again, of our, our kind of sky, our ceiling is God's floor, that imagery. Um, we'll know Isaiah 6, 1 to, 1 to 13, many of us hear the words. Um, Isaiah, another prophet in the Old Testament, has this vision and interestingly how many times we've used this in the previous series on fear of the Lord 
So where does, where's fear of the Lord pointing us? It's pointing us and challenging us and stirring us up, isn't it? But it's also speaking to us about the nature of God's kingship, majesty in heaven. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the image there is on magnitude, the magnitude of God. His his robe is so great that it fills the biggest, most glorious structure that they can think about, the temple. The whole is filled, the magnitude of God. And, and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they, they were flying. And then, and then here, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's not stuck in heaven with his glory, looking down on earth, thinking there's nothing I can do about it. He's not just waiting to bring his glory into being. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was, was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. Do you remember Tim's little phraseology of the wow and the woe of God that we should have that appropriate kind of genuine, appropriate, healthy sort of tension. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He says, my eyes, he means every part of me has been filled with this, with this vision. Paul Aguda, again, goes into um, Ezekiel 1 and talks about as Ezekiel looks into a storm that is filling the skies. The storm is coming, there's flashing lightning. And there she sees God's throne on a chariot. It's a, a flaming chariot, gold vehicle filled with the glory of God. What's the significance? Well, in Isaiah's day, they have a temple. They have a sense of of God's glory physically present. Ezekiel's time, they are in exile. So are they now cut off from the glory of God? Can they experience the presence of King God's majesty? No, it's okay. Don't have to be constrained by the temple. He comes in this chariot that means that he can move and he can connect and he can be and they can be connected with him. He's not, God's not abandoned them. So the glory is able to be everywhere. Daniel 7, many of us will know in Daniel, the book of Daniel again in the Old Testament, he has a vision. This time the vision has sea monsters causing chaos, causing absolute chaos on the kind of par that we might look around and see today. Absolutely. And these these sea monsters represent the political powers of the time. Political powers that no one could ever imagine. Who could ever stand against? Who could ever overcome the forces? Daniel Daniel sees the Ancient of Days taking his throne, his, his, his clothing as white as snow, his throne of fiery flames, and he sits in judgment over the worldly powers. Which points us, doesn't it, of course, to King Jesus, 
and the throne, the heavenly throne of King Jesus. Here are, here are three Bible passages as I just give you this really quick summary just to get in our minds and our heads something of a biblical sense of heaven, not, not future. So Jesus is Matthew 25. He's the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. And when he comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne. The twist, Jesus is seen to be enthroned first on the cross. He, he's sneered at, he's abused. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. We worship a God enthroned first of all on the cross. But Revelation 5.13, the picture of fullness, all that is coming into being, but does uh, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. So as we think about heaven, here we go. Here are just the summary things. What's the Bible saying to us? Thank you so much, Jacob. It's a hope that we live in now, not primarily about us and our future resting place. When the Bible talks about heaven, its primary focus is not on us and our future resting place, but it's on the hope that we live in now, the reality that we live in now. It is all to do with God and God's presence, his throne, his oversight. And it is also to do with his intimate involvement in the earth. To speak of heaven in the Bible is to speak of God's activity and work in our lives here on earth. So I, I just want to encourage you to take anything and everything that you might imagine and think about. All of those feelings which are appropriate to, to, to have, all of those hopes and those dreams, all that sense of peace, all that sense of rightness, and just magnify it a hundred thousand times and think about it in the now. One writer, Peter Brown, says, heaven is upper-worldly, not primarily other-worldly. God is hearing our cries. God is sending angels moving amongst us. God is, is with us wherever we go. And so I said it a moment or two ago, heaven, heaven is a yearning. Heaven is a yearning for anyone who's a follower of Jesus. Here's a, a picture, a beautiful picture of a lake with the sun. Does that make you yearn a little bit? Paul wrote again in Romans, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, the first fruits but we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, this hope of peace, shalom, rightness, all things in their right place, God's glory in, in our lives. 
our, our sense of honor and awe and reverence, then making everything else adjust. C.S. Lewis said that heaven is the secret signature of our souls, the secret signature of our souls. It's the cry of our souls. And those friends, friends of yours, those people you'll talk to this Christmas, those people that you're hopefully thinking about inviting to, to beer and carols, they, they believe most of them, many of them, they believe in an afterlife. They have a hope of an afterlife. They probably have a buffet of spirituality. They'd like a little bit of reincarnation. But they always want to come back as cats. Never want to come back as... There's a genuine, there's a genuine heart yearning there for heaven. Our good news is about the one who not only dies on the cross to take away sin and to remove that barrier, but also the one who, who brings and has glory and the power for it to be on earth as in heaven. Maybe, maybe you're conscious of a term that the Celtic Christians first used about thin places. Have you ever been to a, a spiritually thin place where you've had a sense of the presence of God, the overwhelming power of God? This, this is a thin place because it's been prayed in, I would say. Some of us go to places in Wales, Falderbrennan, there are the Holy Islands, there, there are many places. But people I know will have thin places just in their daily walk and you have it in your home. You just have the sense of the permeability of the, of the separation between yourself and heaven. In our worship, lots of glorious stars of worship in the Church of Jesus Christ. But in, in our worship, because I am somebody from this tradition, there are just moments where I sense myself carried into heaven. And your friends, maybe you're here today and this is you, you sense this yearning. It's, it's the signature of your soul. But your friends, your family... They, they don't actually need, in my experience, a lot of persuading that the ways of the world are pretty obviously rubbish. You, you don't need a lot of persuading to see that the powers of the world are very, very good at churning up, breaking, destroying, killing, hating, tearing apart. They're pretty good at that. But they are not the power of God to restore to bring together, to bring fullness, to bring peace despite the circumstances. The peace of God, the shalom of God, the knowledge that with God things are right, however much rubbish there is right around you. I wonder if during Advent, as you use those readings, you might commit to find a place, a thinner place. You see, there is a film that really got it right. It's Bruce Almighty, one of the best, most accurate. Here's my stepladder. Do you love, I love that scene when Bruce comes and finds God and he's, uh, Jacob, you got my ladder picture. He's got, he's got this picture, hasn't he? God is the janitor fixing, you know, and isn't it so accurate theologically, the kind of thinness of the ceiling? And it really is on the money. 
daily encounter. Here's, here's, here's the story that that ladder picture comes from. We'll put it up. It's, it's the story of another Jacob. This one's doing really well. Genesis 28, 11 to 13. Taking one of the stones there. So Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, the, the person around which God first coalesced the nation of Israel as, Israel as in God's people, not the modern day state, led them. He said, taking one of the stones there, Jacob, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. It's easy access. It's, it's coming and going. The natural and the supernatural are not divided. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. It was a thin place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gates of heaven. Scripture is full of talk about the gates of heaven. And who is the gate of heaven now? It was physical. Correct answer to every question in church is? Jesus is the gate. And all the earth is full of his glory. A couple of Bible passages as I come, come into land. John 1.14, this is what we will celebrate in those first readings at beer and carols and all our Christmas th- uh, gatherings. The word became flesh and lived among us. The paradoxical truth, God is holy, holy, holy and he fills the earth. 2 Corinthians 3.18 Just a a shorthand version on the screen. I'll read the whole thing. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. So he's talking here about those who are following Jesus. That's us, friends. Are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. The glory of God coming into us through the Holy Spirit, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just two so what's, but then I want to just let us finish in a moment of prayer and focus, I hope, on yearning. Here's just two quick so what's. So what for Jacob? If God will be with me, he said, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Worship and generosity flow out of encounter with the presence of God. And Isaiah famously said, after he'd had this vision... Unholy lips being touched by the coals. And he said, here I am. Send me. Let your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Let heaven break out in our lives. Let heaven break out around us. Let us have such a sense, God, of your awesome might and majesty and your power.